Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. It's hard to believe that it's been three years now since we lost the great Arnold Palmer, and this September 10th would have been his 90th birthday, and I know the Arnold Palmer Foundation and family have been running a very cool series on Instagram and Twitter and really on social media called Arnold Palmer's 90 for 90. They've highlighted the 90 top moments in Arnold's life and his career uh, leading up to his, would have been his 90th birthday here on September 10. So it's um, it's painful to think about not having Arnold in the game any longer, but it's reassuring to look back and think about what Arnold meant to all of us and specifically to me. When I was a rookie on tour, when I met him, I I had just joined the PGA Tour in 1977, and I went out on Monday qualifying. I didn't have any status. You don't have any status as a rookie back in those days, and I went out and I tried to qualify at the Phoenix Open and the Tucson Open, and I just, I think Bob Hope Classic, I failed. I, uh, I was over three. I drove up to Monterey. I practiced all week at Pebble Beach. And lo and behold, I Monday qualified at Old Del Monte Country Club and made it into the field at the Bing Crosby, which was going to be my very first PGA Tour event. I ran out to play a few holes on the back nine at Monterey Peninsula Country Club before the, before the sunset on that Monday afternoon because I was so, so incredibly excited. I went out and I played three or four holes and the sun was just starting to set into the Pacific Ocean, so I cut across. I think over to 16, and I hit three or four drives with my caddy. And As I was just walking off the tee, I could hear a big ruckus from behind me, and around the corner came a crowd of people following a couple of golfers, and those golfers were Arnold Palmer and his manager, Mark McCormick. And I stood frozen because I had just cut across and played out in front of Arnold Palmer. It's bad, bad etiquette to do it anywhere at any time to anybody but here I am I'm rookie on tour and I just played in front of the great Arnold so I stood there kind of frozen and he walked right up to me stuck that big hand of his out and he said hi I'm Arnold Palmer can we join you now this was a great opportunity for Arnold to big time me for him to say hey kid move out of the way or what do you think you're doing we're playing through stand back but nope being the the accommodating and kind person he was, he offered to uh, for me to join. And it was really interesting because he stuck his hand out and he said, Hi, I'm Arnold Palmer. Like, yeah, duh, I know who you are. Arnold was probably the most the most famous athlete in the world at the time. If, if I'm sure there, people would disagree with that. But in my world, in the world of golf, he was the guy, along with Jack Nicholson, and Gary Player, the big three. So we played 16, 17, and 18 at Monterey Peninsula, into the clubhouse. And he talked to me like a peer. I was a friend of his. He gave me a sleeve of his golf balls, the brand new Arnold Palmer golf ball, told me to try it, let me let him know what I thought. We played three holes. I met Mark McCormick, his manager, who would later become my manager. And we shook hands on the 18th green. He said, good luck. Uh, look forward to seeing you again. Let me know how those golf balls treat you. Which, right then I knew I was going to have a 
I was going to have a follow-up conversation with him, whether he wanted it or not. I was going to seek him out at some point and talk about that sleeve of golf balls he gave me. But he walked away into the sunset, took his crowd with him, probably had a couple hundred people following him. He walked off the green, and it was just my caddy and I. This was before Mike Cowan had caddied for me. And I stood there, and I thought, wow, that was an amazing moment. One of those expect unexpected things that comes into your life. And coming out on tour, he was he was my favorite player. He was my idol. And they always say, be careful when you meet your idols because they could be a huge disappointment to you. But I can honestly say when I met Arnold, my idol on that day, he greatly exceeded my expectations because of how kind and how how accepting and and how friendly he was. And I felt like I was now part of Arnold's life and part of his uh, daily routine, just playing three holes with Arnold. So as I reflect back now on Arnold's life and career and what he meant to me, I, I think of all the lessons and all the messages that he left us in the game of golf, those of, of honor and integrity and doing the best you can and always treat others as, as you wish to be treated. Early on in my career, I was invited to join Arnold Palmer at a bunch of exhibitions and outings that, that he was invited to, and uh, which is just a huge honor to be put with Arnold in anything. And one of the events we did was for a hospital system down in Pasadena, California. We went to play Annandale Country Club, gosh, probably three, four, five years in a row. And I remember the first time I ever got scolded or was scolded by Arnold was after we had played the day, we had done a clinic, we had played 18 holes of golf, and we were in the clubhouse at a member's reception and sponsor's reception, and we were we were simply signing autographs and saying goodbye and thanking everybody for a great day. There must have been 30 or 40 hats and flags on a table, so I started signing every one of them. Well, about halfway in, I guess my signature was licking a little sloppy, so I felt this big hand grab my arm, and he said, Hey, what are you doing? I turned around. It was Arnold. And he said, Your signature is getting sloppy. I don't like the way that you're, that you're not taking time with your signature. Make it legible. And he, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, If you're signing a contract or a personal check, you can slop up your signature all day. But if you're signing a piece of memorabilia, a hat, a flag, a program, a glove, or something that's going to hang on someone's wall as a remembrance of your of your time together. You sign your name so people can read it. And that stuck with me all to this day. I don't I don't sign my name. I draw my name because I want it to be legible because all of you have seen Arnold's signature at one point or another and it almost looks like it's a stamp. It is perfect. And I think to Gary Player and Jack Nicholas, players of that era really cared about their signature because it was a, it was a, an expression from them. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee 
down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Strixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams. And eventually, I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do how it affects your game, and I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left to right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. I'm happy to be joined now by my older brother, David, who formed a great relationship with Arnold Palmer when he came out to Portland, Oregon to play in the first Fred Meyer Challenge back in 1986, David. And we had arranged for you to caddy for him, and and that started a a pretty cool run and relationship with you and Arnold. Actually, to clarify, Peter, you and I spoke about the event, and you wanted to create uh, hosts for each one of these players, because you talked about how you would go to these events and you'd have to find your hotel, find a car, and you wanted to make this event special. And we came up with some friends of ours who became hosts for all these players. And you asked me to host Arnold, and your words, if you recall, were, don't screw it up, we need to make sure (laughs) Arnold comes back every year. And so it was a privilege, a really, words don't describe the privilege that I had to spend time with Arnold, and I had caddied for him when he was defending champion in 1982 here in Portland uh, for the U.S. Senior Open, which was just a thrill to be a part of his incredible competitiveness as he and Miller Barber played the final two rounds together competing for that uh, for that title. But the time with Arnold was just really special in how I was able to watch how he handled the public, uh, how people had wanted best wishes and autographs. Arnold was just as good as it gets uh, with that. But we also had a lot of fun along the way, too. He loved to go deep sea fishing. One year in particular, he got out here early. He wasn't playing in the previous week's senior tour event. So we went uh, fishing. He, his pilot, myself, and one other person, we went fishing out of Warrington. We drove down the night before to make sure that we didn't get fogged in. This is off the Oregon coast. Off the Oregon coast out of Astoria. So we drove down the night before. We had several cocktails, a great dinner, Caesar salad, got up the next morning to go fishing. And a giant boat that I had arranged, we get out into the Pacific Ocean. The boat captain cuts the engine and we're idling. And we put our lines in the water to do the fishing 
and it was a little rough so you can imagine bobbing around in the ocean the first fish was in the boat after all the bets we had made prior to this the longest the most the heaviest the most weight every bet conceivable first boat came the first fish came in the boat captain measured it, it was a, a legal size to keep he hit it over the top of the head with the uh, with the mallet and all the fish blood and guts came all over me thanks to the dinner from the night before this the ocean seas and I, the booze and the booze i got terribly seasick and was over the side of the boat and of course arnold was laughing hilariously at me and just ridiculing me in every shape and manner he could think of so if you've ever been seasick you know you're done you really can't reply to any needles you're getting to my good fortune, the next fish that came on board, the captain hit it over the head when it was determined to be legal. The blood and the guts went all over Arnold, and I can tell you Arnold could vomit like the rest of us. He was over the side, vomiting as, as hard as I was, and of course, at that point, I had to needle him and criticize him for his being seasick. At the end of the day, everybody on the boat got seasick, so it turned out to be just hilarious. The minute we landed back on the dock, it was as if nothing happened. Just being out there in the ocean in the motion sickness with the blood and the guts of the fish made for a memorable experience. Well, Arnold told me that he threw up on purpose because he said the more chum in the water on his side of the boat, he'd catch more fish. That sounds That's like not him. true? That sounds like him. That sounds like him. But as I said at the outset, spending time with Mr. Palmer was a reflection of the values of the game that I just cherish and his manners, his respect for others, how he made you feel very special in a conversation. Although 50 other people wanted to speak to him, he had a magic about him that made you feel as if he was talking directly to you and no one else. Arnold was the kind of guy that he never met a stranger and everybody he met, they, that person felt so special because while he was alive and even in the years after his death, Everybody I meet around the country that talks about Arnold, they talk about how close they were with Arnold. Arnold has a hundred million best friends, and that just speaks to the the quality of the people, how they felt that the relationship with Arnold was so special, and it was. Peter, I can't say that I was a close friend, but I was privileged to spend time with him. And later on at a Fred Meyer Challenge, we were changing clothes in the locker room at the Oregon Golf Club on the way to the players' dinner. Ed C. was still alive at that time. Arnold and I had changed and we were having a drink prior to the dinner. And we were looking at all the people in the room changing clothes. Nick Faldo was in the room. I think that uh, uh, Jack Nicholas was playing in the championship that year. You name Phil Mickelson. There were, you, you brought some of the greatest players of the game to uh, to the Fred Meyer Challenge, but I remember Arnold looking at these guys and saying to Ed and I, look at these guys. Each one of these, I won't tell you the, the colorful comment he said, but each one of these guys can hit a one iron straight as a string. But then he looked at Arnold or Ed and I and he says, you know what really matters? What kind of human being they are. Well, you said you weren't a great friend of Arnold, but I can honestly say that um, I doubt many of Arnold's friends have have been puking together, <laughs> been vomiting together. So I think that bonds anybody. When you puke together on the same boat, 
you guys are you guys are, are tight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. I've got so many great memories of Arnold Palmer. Certainly one of my favorites was back in 2002. I was paired with Arnold Palmer and Jay Haas. The first two rounds of the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. And Arnold unfortunately missed the cut, but I made the cut. And I played on Saturday, but I must have missed Arnold and missed Jay because I went out and shot 79 or 80. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't very good. In fact, what it resulted in was me being paired all by myself Sunday morning in a onesome. How embarrassing. It happens to a lot of lot of players, but I didn't want to play by myself. So I was at a party on Saturday night at Bay Hill and I ran into Arnold. I said, Arnold, let me ask you a question. I'm playing tomorrow in your event all alone. And he said, yeah, I saw you shot a really good score today. Today, did you miss me? I said, yeah, obviously I did. But I said to him, I don't want to play in a onesome. Do you have a committee member or somebody that I could play with? I don't care if they're a scratch player or a 30 handicapper. I just don't want to play alone. And he said, let me think about it. Ten minutes later, he came back and said, how about my grandson, Sam? Now, I think Sam was 12, 13, 14. I can't remember which, but I knew he was a good player. He's uh, Arnold's daughter Amy's son with Roy Saunders and we all know we all know Sam today he's a heck of a PGA Tour player still looking for his first win but I think he's going to get it soon so I said of course see at 7 15 in the morning whatever the tea time was I got to the golf course warmed up looked over at the first tee there must have been 300 people there and I knew they weren't there to see Mr. Mr. 80 shooter from the day before they wanted to watch Sam 
So we got to the tee. There was Arnold standing right there. The starter introduced Sam first. He said to me, do you want to go first or second? I go, no. Stays about Sam. Let him go. Well, he pounded one over the corner of the dogleg left. And the minute he hit it, I looked at Arnold, and he kind of he raised his eyebrows like, pretty good, huh? And I remember saying to Arnold, I can't outdrive this kid. What'd you do to me? Well, I think I got it past him by a yard on the first hole, and that might have been one of the few times all day that I could drive it past him. Sam was long then, and he's long now. Well, we walked off the tee 10 or 15 yards, and I looked behind me, and what was coming up behind us but a golf cart driven by Arnold Palmer. And I stopped and waved him away, and I said, Sir, would you get the golf cart off the, the golf course, please? And he went, Hey, you just shut up and play and try to improve on that round of yesterday. Well, I did. We played 18 holes. I shot 69. Sam shot 74 or 75, which is pretty good for a young kid playing all the way back on Sunday at Bay Hill with the Sunday pins. But the cool thing was that Arnold drove down the middle of every fairway in his golf cart, 10 or 15 yards behind us, keeping close eye on his grandson, Sam, and trying to trying his best to uh, just have some fun with us. But I think the gallery got a bigger kick out of it than anybody watching Arnold watch his grandson. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're out and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. We know how much Arnold loved to play golf. He loved those 18 holes. But when he got to the 19th hole, I know what it was for him. It was all about a glass of Kettle One vodka on ice with a twist. And believe me, they made quite a team. One of the coolest places in golf has got to be Arnold Palmer's office. Back when I played in the Arnold Palmer Invitational at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge, every time I finished, I would go up the stairs to say hi to Arnold and thank him for the week. I think that's one of the things I always tried to do when I got to any tournament was to register, got to do that. But then I always sought out the tournament director to go upstairs and, and thank them for every aspect of, of what we do at the tournament, from the food and the transportation to the organization of the event. I always wanted to thank them, but going up to see Arnold was special. I walked up the stairs, I went in, I saw Janet, his assistant, and you walked into the inner sanctum. You walked into Arnold's office. And I'm happy to say that even three years after his death, his office is still the same. I was just there about three months ago shooting some ads for Cleveland and Strixon. And I went upstairs, had a chance to see Janet, had a chance to go into the office. And everything is still the same. The desk is still the same. His leather chair is there. He's got an alpaca sweater draped over the back and all of the the pictures and the mementos and the, he's even got an ovation guitar in there which he was given by the ovation company years ago but golf bags and shoes and putters and drivers and books and family pictures it, it i won't call it a museum because it's just an office but it's a special place that reminds me of a very special man and i think amy and the entire fam palmer family is committed to keeping the office the way it was when arnold was alive and uh, try to Try to keep it the way it should be uh, well on into the future. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. 
Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?